It's great to be here uh, with you all this morning, and I do want to thank you for your prayers uh, as you've continued to uh, pray for us. You know, four years ago, as we were uh, preparing to go to New Zealand, uh, there's only about five million people that live in New Zealand, and there's way more sheep than there are people. And Crystal, my wife, was telling our kids, it's nine sheep to every one person. Uh, and so we arrived in New Zealand, and I think it was a few days later, our youngest says to Crystal, Mommy, when are we going to get our nine sheep? <laughs> and, you know, it's special in, in a way because, you know, if you've ever seen sheep before, uh, the, 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 the lambs, you know, they're, they're so fluffy and, and cute and adorable. And, and we come into the Advent and we're... You know, we're, we, we hear the stories, right, of the shepherds uh, keeping watch at the fields by night. And you have these images of, of little lambs and, and cute sheep. You know, rea in reality, though, um, you know, for some people, you know, for them, for Christmas, it's just a, it's a matter of getting and getting presents, right? But for the Christian, you know, as, as we come in, into the Christian, uh, Christian, the Christmas season, you know, for us, it's something completely different. But really, every Sunday, every Sunday, we get to celebrate Christmas. Every Sunday, we get to celebrate the birth, right, of, of Christ and his death and resurrection and his coming back. And it's for that reason, today, I want, to look at, I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Let me read this for us. Isaiah 9 chapter, or Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice because you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it to an, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we look at your word together this morning, Father, how we are reminded of your incarnation, but the reason of your incarnation. 
Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, you would minister to our souls. Lord, that you would lead us in repentance for your name and glory. And God, would this not just be a story to us that we read here, but God, that our lives are shaped by your very work of your Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would lead us now as we look at your word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Isaiah chapter 9 is a, is a very familiar uh, passage to, to many of us, uh, specifically verses 6 and 7. Uh, for many people, they may not know the actual background uh, to this story. Uh, if you go back to uh, chapter 8, for instance, you read about uh, King Ahaz, uh, how wicked King Ahaz was and the things that he did. Uh, and and uh, here, then, we, we come into chapter 9, where Isaiah brings this, this message of hope to the people uh, because, actually, of what King Ahaz has done and, and the rebellion of the people and so uh, God tells Isaiah to come to them and to, and to give them uh, this message. You see, prior to uh, chapter 9, uh, Judah and Israel had stopped seeking the Lord. Under King Ahaz, what he had done is, is he, had, he had bought off the, the Assyrians. He had, he had made an allegiance with them, and, and that was something that, that God had commanded Israel never to do. But he, he actually didn't just, just buy them off, but he actually stole from the temple treasury to do this. And so as a result, God was bringing discipline and judgment down on his people. But what's interesting here is you would expect, you know, just this, this harsh treatment of, of, of Israel and Judah because of, of what they have done. We actually... We get something quite the opposite in the message here. We get a message of mercy, a message of grace, a message of hope. So there are, there are two things I would like us to consider today. In our rebellion, there is hope. And number two, despite our rebellion, the Messiah comes. So our first point, in our rebellion, there is hope. In, in the first verse here, Isaiah tells them that uh, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. What caused this, this gloom and anguish in the first place? It was the rebellious hearts of the people. It was their king and, and, and the people that followed their king. It was their sin that brought them there. Now, as I said just a, a minute ago, Ahaz was this, this wicked king. <clears throat> and he stole from the treasury of the Lord. Look with me at Second uh, Kings uh, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 8, to give us a bit of context here. Second Kings chapter 16, verse 8. It says, the Bible says, Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And you can further read in chapter 16 on how the king also defiled temple worship. But, but not only did the king do these things, but the, the people followed him. And they were all guilty here. They were all guilty 
in rebellion against the Lord. In many ways, this story of, of what King Ahaz has done is a lot like what's going on in New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand is a, is a beautiful place, a natural beauty, but behind that natural beauty, there's something that's not so beautiful. I mean, when people think of New Zealand, they think of Lord of the Rings, right? The cascading mountains, the waterfalls. Many people think of New Zealand as this great Christian nation. In fact, a number of years ago, New Zealand was number two in the world for sending missionaries out. But over the last 40 years, we've seen what you might call a Christian nation just sliding, sliding, sliding into liberalism. They have forsaken their God. And now New Zealand is one of the most liberal and post-Christian nations in the world. They're making laws all the time that remove religious freedoms that promote moral decadence. And having lived now in New Zealand for four years, we have certainly felt the effects of this for being a Christian. I mean, four years ago, the eyes were on the world of New Zealand when it closed its borders because of COVID. And there were strict laws put into place of where people could go and what they could do. There were limits put on how many people could attend church. The people were, were suffering in, in the one place you think they would want to go, right, is to gather for worship. They could not go. And Christians were accused of being the super spreaders of the coronavirus. Now, as a Christian, you could just throw up your arms and, and, and just give up. But you're reminded when you come to a passage like Isaiah 9 and verse 1, which says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The beginning of God's promise here in Isaiah 9. And it wasn't just a promise for the Israelites, but it's a promise for us too. We all, we all suffer at times, don't we? We all deal at some level or another with pain and anguish. We all deal with, with the effects of our sin, don't we? And whatever trials we face, we are told here in verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. There will be no more pain. There will be no more unjust laws that cast down Christians. In fact, there will be no more struggling of sin. That day is coming, just as all the Israelites longed for us, as, as they would be taken into captivity. But Christ, just as he's promised here, is coming. He's coming back for us as well. You look at King Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, King Ahaz here, and, and, you know, could you imagine stealing from the temple treasury? Could you imagine doing that? You would think that's the most despicable thing. I would never, ever do that. But you know what? We all steal from God. Every time we sin, we are stealing from God. We are saying, God, what I want to do is more important than what you want. We are saying that I want to do this. We are, we are worshiping self and stealing from the very worship that is due God. You know, despite what Ahaz has done, despite what, what we have done, God instead comes and he shows grace and mercy. It's something the people certainly didn't deserve, and it's something that we certainly don't deserve either. 
God brings his people hope. Here in verse 1, there is this stark contrast between the gloom of the people who were under rebellion to, to being promised to be brought out of that into the promised land again. You know, the people have brought the Lord's discipline down on themselves and their land. The, the promised land is, is, is taken away. But despite their sin, God is going to restore them. But, but he's going to do something far greater than restoring some physical land, isn't he? he he's, he's not going to restore them by some earthly king. He's going to restore them through the eternal king, the eternal king, King Jesus. And the following verses here in chapter 9 describe to us how God is going to do this. You know, in verse 2, even though the people have walked in darkness, in even deep darkness, they have seen a light, as verse 2 tells us. And God brings them this light. Now, the, the darkness that, that is described here, this deep darkness, it's, it's not the same as, as saying when you say, oh, it's dark outside. And when you say that, you usually mean, well, you can see something, right? When your eyes adjust, you're going to see something. But this, this darkness that is talked about here is this, this pitch black darkness. It's like being in a cave. If you've ever been in a cave before, you know it's just pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face, nor will you ever be able to see your hand in front of your face. But maybe you've been in a cave before. It's pitch black, and then somebody puts a light on, you know? And, and, and they could be far, far away, and, and you see that light. And this is, is, is what happens with, with God, right? We, we were in this, this total darkness, pitch black darkness, and yet God shines his light on us, bringing us hope. It's like the, the, the lighthouse that, that shines out, that... that, that that the, helps the sailors find guidance and where to travel. You know, sin is, is that thing that, that has blinded all of us. And yet God shines his light onto us and brings us hope. You know, first God, he removed the, the scales from our eyes, right? He, he shined his light on us, removing the scales from our eyes so that we would see him and know him. But then just as this passage here is, is written to the Israelites who had, had sinned, they were still God's people. They were already God's people, right? Just like us. And so God also shines his light on us, making himself known to us. And he reveals to us our sin so that we can repent of it. By his light, our sin is exposed and, and we are, if we are God's children, right, we will not continue in darkness. We will, we will be brought out into the light. And so there's even hope for us now, right? Hope for those who are struggling now. And we see here in verse 3 how, how God says that he's going to multiply the nation. This is a promise that the nation will not stagnate. stagnate but that God is going to grow his people. Nothing the world could throw at us, throw at God, is going to stop his kingdom. Right? God is going to grow his kingdom. And the more the world oppresses his kingdom, the more it grows. 
And God is glorified by this. The gospel continues to go forth despite adversaries and oppression. It's amazing how in New Zealand the the, the, the government, right, is, is, had been oppressive over the last couple of years, and yet we see churches that are faithful to God growing. And this, <clears throat> this joy that is coming, though it comes many times through trial, it's, it, it's no different than, than the farmer, right? The farmer goes and, and, and they labor and they, they plant, plant their crops, right? But but at the end of the season, they see the fruit. They see the harvest. And in the same way, God is refining his people here in chapter 9 with, our, uh, with Israel. They, they, they have rebelled against him, and he's going to refine them. He's going to have the Assyrians, the Babylonians come in, and they're going to be led off into captivity, right? There's this refining that happens, this trials that happening. But God has a purpose in this. He's... he's He's refining them, and he brings them out. He restores them, and he restores them firstly through his son. His son is the joy of the world. His son will put an end to all captivity and sin. The promises we see here in in chapter 9 are not just for the Israelites. They are for us. We are part of God's kingdom, you and me. And as we move here into verse 4, we're reminded, right, that God is strong enough to do these things that he says he will do. God is going to remove the yoke around their necks, but it isn't the Assyrian army or the Babylonians later. God is going to remove the yoke of sin. The rod of the oppressor, which, which is in the, in the immediate context here, the Israelites, you know, they probably would have thought, oh, yeah, the, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. But God is talking about something much greater here. He's talking about our sin, right? He, he's talking about our fallen natures. And God's going to do this through Christ. And to prove this, Isaiah, we read here, he compares this to the battle with the Midianites, where God overthrew the Midianites during Gideon's time. You might remember the, the story of Gideon and, and how uh, God whittles down the army, to, the Gideon's army, just to 300 men, right? And then as, as they go out, God sends the Midianites into confusion and they begin killing each other and Gideon didn't even have to lift a finger. And, and Isaiah is saying here is, is that God is going to do this amazing work. It's God who is going to do it. It's not you, it's God. He will bring an end, just as verse 5 says. Verse 5, For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It will be burned like fuel for a fire. God is going to bring peace to our hearts and there will be no longer be any suffering. And this description here in verse 5 is of the blood-soaked cloths because there has been battle. And you think about the battle, right, as when Christ hung on the cross, right? The, the, the battle, the blood that was poured from Christ's side. 
But Christ is coming and he will heal all the wounds. He will put an end to all our suffering. What an amazing promise we see in these first five verses. But how is God going to bring about these promises? And those answers come in verses 6 and 7. And our second point, despite our rebellion, the Messiah comes. Look again with me at verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. When the Israelites read this or heard this from Isaiah, they, they immediately were thinking, some earthly king, right? But we know that God was talking about something else. I mean, even Jesus' disciples asked him, you know, Lord, is it this time that you're going to restore the kingdom, Right? And they didn't understand what the Lord was talking about here. But we know that God is talking about another kingdom. And it's not through some earthly king, is it? It is through King Jesus, the Almighty King. Well, let's walk through this uh, for a minute. We're told here first that uh, the king, right, that a child is to be born. And this child here is, of course, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ taking on flesh. But he didn't just appear as some full-grown man, did he? He came in the most humblest of ways, a baby, right? A baby that is dependent upon a mother, a baby that needs fed and clothed and taken care of. In this prediction here in 9 of chapter 9 of Christ coming in the form of a baby is actually an affirmation all the way back to the covenant of grace that we see in the Garden of Eden, right? Where, where God says that, that he would send someone one day to crush the head of the serpent. And he will come and he will rule all things. Right? We're told here that the government will be upon his shoulders. This is a description of the supreme ruler and judge. But he first comes in the most humblest of ways, as a baby. Yet his coming marked the beginning of the new covenant, where God began making all things new. And we see here these four names, right? Uh, the four names of this Messiah, it's a, it's a progression from strategy to warfare to, to rule to peace. And, and these four names that are given here are in direct contrast to King Ahaz. Right? So, wonderful counselor. The, the child deliverer would be a wondrous strategist. He'd be orchestrating an amazing victory for his people. And meaning he, he was going to continue to work out his amazing plan of salvation. Mighty God 
Mighty God, which means God is warrior. This name praise God for the victory the son of David would accomplish for his people. You know, he's not going to stay distant from battle as, as many kings were prone to do. But he himself was going to do this. He is the warrior. And he'd even fight to death. We see everlasting father. Now the everlasting father is not to be confused with the name God the father. The name everlasting father is, is that the line of customs of the ancient Near East in which it designated the king as a royal father of the nation. Right? So, so the way God himself cares for the people. And so Christ, this child, would always be the royal father of the nation. Not just the Jews, the Christians, us. His paternal care for his subjects would never end. And of course, prince of peace. It means that his government would be ever so effective that it would be eternal peace. I don't know about you, but I long for Christ's return, right? I long for that eternal peace. And all these names here describe the opposite of what what the Israelites were experiencing under King Ahaz. Christ is going to deal with the oppressors of Israel, but Christ is going to deal with, with all things. And in verse 7, we're given the description that there will be no end to his throne, that the messianic kingdom will continue to grow. Christ is Lord over all things. And this this covenantal promise that we see that that God made with Abraham, that the whole world uh, would that, that God would multiply Abraham's offspring more than the stars in the sky, and the, the whole world would be blessed. And then, then later God tells David, doesn't he, that through David's line the Messiah would come and, and that uh, this would be eternal. All that is being affirmed here in chapter 9. God was reminding the Israelites of these promises that he had made so many years before, but but he's also reminding us today of these promises as well, that he is bringing all of these things to pass. Every king has been fallible. Every king, right, was sinful. Even King David. But God's king, right? King Jesus is true and wholly perfect. And he establishes his kingdom and upholds it. He rules it perfectly with justice and righteousness. Could you imagine living under a leader, under a king, who, who, who there were no unjust laws, there was, there was no partiality. Could, could you imagine living where, where there is perfect peace and no threat of any kind? We live in that kingdom. Now, we live in that already and not yet, right? Christ came and he he began this, but he is yet to come back. But he is coming back. You know, one day there will be no more oppression. There will be no more unjust laws. There will be no more dealing with our sin. 
When I look at Thailand, sorry, Thailand, when I look at New Zealand, there are so many unjust things I see happening and, and, and so many things that, that we, we experience. But you don't have to go to New Zealand to experience those things. You have them right here as well, don't you? But there's going to be a day when Christ comes back and he puts all things right. That day is coming. He will bring a new heavens and a new earth where nothing is tainted or corrupted by sin. And here in chapter 9, we are reminded of that, aren't we? God will deal with all things. The justice that is talked about here is received, right? For some, it is, it is received in anguish, isn't it? But for us who are in Christ, right, we, we, we actually receive something much different, don't we? You know, the penalty for sin is, is death. But, but for those who are in Christ Jesus, the wrath was poured out on Christ for our behalf. Everything we see here in, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 has or will happen. It is going to happen because God is going to make it happen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is an amazing truth back thousands of years ago for the Israelites, and it's still an amazing truth for us now, today. Christ is coming back. We read this passage, though, and what do we make of it? You know, is this just a story, a random story that we read about? We have this promise here that we are given light to see Christ and the salvation in him. We are seeing that, we, we see here that, that he upholds us. He defends us. He gives us hope to, to carry on in this fallen world as, as we await his return. We see this promise that, that God will, will carry out his justice and he will rule with righteousness. And what that produces in us, my friends, is, is hope to carry on, doesn't it? To persevere. And we're able to persevere because God's promise is sure. God's promise is true. We live in that already and not yet. Because Christ is yet to return to do away with all sin and suffering. But Christ is coming back. This passage affects us too by showing us how we are to live until he comes back, doesn't it? We don't live as the world does without hope, do we? We live with hope and we live as Christ as our king. Do you believe this today? That Christ is your king. The only way that these things happen, though, is because of his grace, because of his mercy. When I read chapter 9, and I think of myself as just being just like Israel, we are just like Israel. We are rebellious people. And Christ could wipe us out. That's what we deserve. But I'm reminded here of the hope and the mercy and grace of our Lord. Amen.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for just the reminder today, God, that you didn't leave us to wallow in our sin and in despair. We're reminded here in chapter 9 that that you came to take on flesh, to come in the form of a baby, to live, to suffer, and to die for our sins, Lord, that you give us hope. Father, we long for your return, and we are reminded today, Lord, that you will bring this to pass, that the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we pray that you would show us our hearts today. God, just as as you showed the hearts to the Israelites many years ago of of their wickedness, Lord, would you show us our sins today that we might repent of that? And run to you and be healed, to be restored. Lord, would you help us too to be faithful to what you call us to as your people. Lord, to live out the gospel of peace. Lord, to proclaim to the nations the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, would you help us and protect us from the evil one as well. And God, we thank you for all the things that you do in and through us. We thank you, Lord, that that you allow us to participate in the work that you are doing. Amen and amen.